passage that we read earlier. Today's Father's Day text is many things, but one of it is a comparison and contrast between our earthly fathers and our heavenly fathers. And honestly, if you've been here for this series on the Sermon on the Mount, that shouldn't surprise you at this point because the phrase, our heavenly father or your heavenly father or your father in heaven or the title father is mentioned 17 times throughout this Sermon on the Mount. Ten of them were in chapter 6 that we just finished and there's even one today. 16 out of 17 times the little pronoun your heavenly father or your is put in front of it because as I said in my prayer, our heavenly father is not only transcendent, but he's imminent, he's up close and he's up personal. And that is a big and important concept in Matthew's gospel. In fact, in all the gospels, in total in the gospels, the title for God as father is used 170 times. 44 of those are in Matthew's gospel. And so I'd like to have us take a look at this idea today in our text and develop it. And that is, I would like you, no matter who your father is or was or how he was for you or is for you, to look to God first. Instead of looking to your dad and then looking to God, I would like to emphasize God as our father today and how important it is for us as believers to look to him first. Because you might be here today and you might say that you are fatherless meaning your father has passed on like my dad did a few months ago. He might be fatherless for another reason because your father was absentee in your life. He really just never was there. Maybe you've never known him at all or you know so very little of him that when someone says father, like for many people, a face comes to mind. You hear a voice and you think of your dad and things that he said or did. But maybe that's not you. Maybe the concept of father is somewhat foreign to you because you didn't share in that experience. And there are some of us here, thank the Lord himself, that we had good earthly fathers. I mean, very good fathers. And they were there for us. They, they were at our games and they came to our stuff and they supported us. And some of us even had great fathers who were examples to, of Jesus to us and shaped and formed our lives. But whatever the case might be today, for, for bad or for good... I think a lesson for us would be very well received, I hope, is that instead of looking to our earthly fathers first, we need to look at our heavenly father or to him first. So let me just give you three points today, practical points about how to go about doing that. The first one is really from the context, uh, and that is all the times in the Sermon on the Mount that heavenly father is mentioned. And that is this, don't ever stop being amazed that God is your heavenly Father. Now, follow me. Theologically, that means this, that to be a child of God, and that's what you are if you have trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, uh, that means if Jesus is your Savior, that God is your Father, and that can only take place by adoption. I know that there are some, and we did many years ago, a panel on adoption here in one of our Sunday school classes on Father's Day, but there are some of you that were adopted physically, but for all of us, without exception, who have Jesus as our Savior, it means that we were adopted spiritually. That means being in God's family is not something that takes place naturally, but rather has to come about supernaturally. 
And can I just tell you a few things about that that I hope you'll be amazed? I want you to see this. What you were saved from to be put into God's family and what you were saved into once you became into God's, once you came into God's family. Romans 5, don't turn there. It says that we were all born in sin and therefore we're all part of Adam's family. Adam's family is a slave to sin. We are born that way. And because of it, not a very exciting thought on Father's Day, but nevertheless theologically true, that we are all dead in our sins. We need delivered, saved, rescued, and many other terms that you could describe it. We were born into Adam's family, not God's. Hear me, because we were born into Adam's family as sinners, the Bible also says in numerous places, John 8 and 1 John 3 being a couple of them, that that means we are also born into Satan's family. The Bible says in 1 John 3.10 that here is the difference between the family, our children of God, and the children of the devil. So it's a little disheartening, but it's good for us to realize that as we come into this world physically, on a spiritual level, we are in Adam's family, we are in the devil's family, and we are not in God's family. That is why when the scripture says, and you should read it this way, and it should excite you, and it does when I read the text, I see it says, your heavenly father. You know what that means? That wasn't who you were born. You were not born into that family. But in Jesus Christ, if you know him and really know him, you have a new identity marker. You were born into God's family. And it says in John 1, not of flesh, nor of blood, nor by the will of man. It's all by God's grace that you were born into that family. And for some of you this morning, that is a huge thing. Because if you could stand up today in front of everyone else and tell your story, you would not tell a story about a family that most people would want to be in. And perhaps that was true not only of your dad, but other kinds of things going on in your family. And so the concept or the idea, the fact that you could be born into a different family where you have a heavenly father would be a huge plus in your life and all those who know Christ. Don't turn there, but there's a scripture that's very exciting along these lines. And it's written by Paul in Ephesians 3 in verses 14 and 15. And it says this, for this reason, Paul says, I bow my knees... To the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. See, if you're a Christian today, no matter what you were born into, Adam's family, the devil's family, no matter what your biological family was like, if you know God the Father through the Lord Jesus Christ, you belong to a family, can I say it nicely, that is far bigger and far better than anything that you could ever imagine. In fact, the Bible says that you're born into a family which scope includes heaven and earth. I, I was sitting down this week, a lot of it because my dad passed away seven and a half months ago, and my mom passed away just a few days ago. And I thought about what it would be like if, if my dad was there when my mom came home and and Jesus brought, and, and, and my dad, I can imagine my dad saying to my mom, what took you so long to get here? That would be something my dad would say. But I thought about my mom and dad who passed away this last year. Um, Felicia, my cousin who passed away, and grandparents. But I thought, you know what? My family's way bigger than that. Do you know, Atsu Apato's in my family, and he went to be with the Lord. And so did my good friend Sam Lamoth. And I remember every year, Harry Hart, 
is in our fa- my family, and he went to be with the Lord, and Barb gives something to me every year. And then Marion Conway has been in our family, in this church family, since it's almost inception or, or before. And Chris Conover, remember my wife was taught ladies' ministry by Chris Conover when she came here because she had done it before my wife. And we could mention names, all, all, a bunch of names. And here's what it says. But the whole family in heaven and earth is named. Now, we have all kinds of different names. We have Listinas and Hamps and Butlers and Walkers. But can I tell you this? Take it the right way. That isn't the most important name. Not in my family. The most important name is Christian. Because you know what unites us together today? Jesus does. Because he's our Lord and Savior and God is our Father. We are family. We are family. So not only, listen, what we are saved out of, out of Adam's family, out of the devil's family. See, when God says that I'm your heavenly father, you're saved out of all that, but you're also saved into a new family. In fact, some commentators say that the reason that Jesus came, you could say it like this, that he came to start a new family. Jesus was doing a teaching one day, recorded in Mark's gospel, chapter 3 at the end, and he was teaching, and people said, Jesus, they interrupted him and said, hey, your mother and your brothers and sisters, they're out here, and they're looking for you. They want to talk to you. And Jesus turned around and said to the crowd, see these people? He says, this is my father, mother, sister, and brothers. And he says, and whoever does the will of God is my father, mother, sister, and brother. See, Jesus came and died. You know what he died for? So that you could be a part of a new kind of family. And that means this morning this, if you come from a bad family where you had no father and your mother wasn't there for you and you're not even close to your siblings and there aren't any reunions for you, can I tell you this? You can, by faith, belong to a greater family, a bigger and better family that comes through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus, it was said of him in John's gospel at the very beginning, he came unto, in the little phrase, he came unto his own. It's a family term. But here's what it said of the Jewish people who were his own when he came. But his own did not receive him. See, he was rejected by his physical family, his ancestors, his people. But in John 13, at the end of Jesus' life, it says, And Jesus loved his own unto the end. You see, he got a new family when he came here. You know they were? The disciples, Peter, James, John, They weren't really his physical family, but they were his spiritual family. And he loved them, and he died for them. See, that perhaps could be you today. Maybe you're not in a physical family where you ever had a relationship with your dad or one that was loving by any stretch. But see, today you can. You can have a relationship with him by faith because that's what Jesus came to do and he died for is to create a new family Centered around God, his Father. That could include you. So from the text, when you read Sermon on the Mount and and Matthew's Gospel, in fact, all the Gospels, you're going to hear the phrase Heavenly Father all the time. Can I tell you, as a Christian, never stop marveling at that. Never stop being amazed about what that means, what you were saved from and what you were saved into as a Christian. Secondly, from the text, and please follow me on this point, Secondly, don't ever limit your idea of fatherhood to your earthly father. Now follow me. Look at verse 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. 
Knock, and it will be opened to you. And then he says, for everyone, and he repeats it. Everyone who asks, everyone who seeks, everyone who knocks. He repeats it in verses 7 and 8. Now those little phrases, those little terse comments or commands, ask, seek, and knock, see, they are related to things in this text. If you look at the word ask, it's used in verse 42 of chapter 5. It's used in verse 8 in chapter 6. And almost every time in Matthew's gospel the word ask is used, it's talking about meeting someone's physical needs. So remember back in the sermon we did last week in, the, in chapter 6 where it says that God, your Father, will meet all of your needs because he knows you have need of bread. He knows you have need of water. He knows you have need of clothing. And so here's what Jesus is saying. Keep asking. Keep seeking. Keep knocking because you have a heavenly Father that will give you all of those things. He will provide for you. But listen, he wants to remind you with another word, seek. See the second one? The only use of the word seek, other than this one in the Sermon on the Mount, is the one that you're most familiar with in chapter 6 and verse 33, where it says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. See, here's what Jesus is saying. Ask, seek, knock. He said those are kingdom words. The word knock is not used anywhere else. It's the only time. But the very next paragraph in verses 13 and 14, talk about entering through a gate. And I'm wondering if Jesus was thinking, listen, this is a kingdom term because you have to knock to get into the kingdom. And if you keep knocking, God will answer, because anybody can come in, he would say. And listen, here's what he says. Because you and I as Christians are kingdom citizens, we can ask and we can seek and we can knock because we have a heavenly father who will meet all of those needs. He will do all those things physically, but listen, so much more than that. He says he'll do those things in your life when you put him first. When you seek his kingdom and the righteousness that he gives, it says, then he will grant all those things to you. So here's what he's saying. Please hear me. Jesus' disciples have a completely different set of priorities. See, in one sense, they are like everybody else. We do need food and drink and clothing. We need all those things. But Jesus says, for my followers, those are not ultimate. They're not first. And rather, my disciples, my followers, thirst for me. And they hunger for righteousness. And they want to be clothed with all that I am. See, that's their bread, and that's their drink, and that's their clothing. See, it's a kingdom-centered knocking and asking and seeking. You say, Pastor Walker, well, that goes against the value system of everything around me because whether you're a teenager this morning or whether you're an adult and whether you're working a job or whatever you might be doing, see, everyone around us and everything we see on TV is saying, ask and seek and knock for all the things about you. You get the better car, you get the better job, you get the better house, you be worried about And this are your priorities, and the world tries to dictate to you by telling you subtly most of the time what should be most important in your life. But Jesus says for the kingdom citizen is absolutely different, that we have a different value. So when we ask and we seek and we knock, it's quite different. And hear me, here's my point. Why is that true? And how can you do it? How can I seek God first and love God first and follow him first in a culture where everyone puts him last? Here's how. Because God is your heavenly father. And I'm going to say this and please hear me. 
And he is better than any earthly father that you could ever have. That's the comparison Jesus wants you to get cemented in your mind. Verse 9, he says it this way. He says, Or which one of you, meaning you earthly fathers, if his son... See, it's a father-son relationship. He says, If your son asks for bread... Will you give him a stone? If you've ever been to Israel, you'll know that a lot of the stones are shaped. They're very long, like a circular, and they're very flat. And if you don't look real carefully, you could almost mistake a stone for a piece of bread because they don't make bread in pieces like we do. They are made just like one of those stones. They look very similar. And he said, what father would have cruelty to say, hey, I slip in a stone and you think it's a piece of bread? Who would do that? And the answer is rhetorical. Of course, no father would do that. He says, if I give you a little fish, I know you think of big fish like this, but the, they were more like minnows, like they were longer, skinnier fish like this. They're the ones that filled Peter's net. They're the ones most popular or populous in the Sea of Galilee. And if you're not careful, they look like little teeny long snakes. And Jesus is saying this, what father who loves his child, who needs um, the Bible, fish would give him a serpent. Who would do that? The answer is nobody would be that rude. No one would be that cruel, he says. Follow the text. Or if he asks a fish, will you give him a serpent? If you, earthly fathers, then, if you then who are evil. Now, see, Pastor Walker, I didn't come to Father's Day at Faith Baptist Church for you to tell me that I'm evil on Father's Day. And Jesus wants you and I to know this. Listen, in comparison and in contrast to who he is, your heavenly father, earthly fathers are sinful. They are not perfect and they are definitely limited. And some of you can vouch for that. Because perhaps in our, converse, our congregation today, you've experienced an abusive father or a very unloving father or a drunken father, or a father that neglected you, didn't have time for you, a father that was unfaithful to your mother, and on and on the list goes. And see, there are perhaps a lot of you who experienced what I call a bad dad out there. So when Jesus says, if you then being evil, he's right, isn't he? I mean, there are fathers who would fit that category very closely. But can I just flip it over a little bit and tell you how strong the contrast is? Because even evil fathers, meaning they're sinful, can do good things. Isn't that hope for us, right? So we have kind dads, and you've experienced that. Compassionate dads. Dads who are at all of your games. I remember my dad lived in, in London for seven years. And my last game, basketball game in college, my dad flew back from England just to view the one game. And see, my dad is not perfect. He wasn't. He was sinful, like every other dad. But there are good things that he did. He was serious about God. And maybe your dad has been serious about God. But here's what Jesus says. See, see even though you are evil, you give good things to your children, he says. Good things. And the word good in the Gospel of Matthew is almost always contrasted with evil. In other words, you're evil, you're sinful, you're limited, you're not perfect, but you still have the ability to do good things. You would give your son bread. You're going to give your son fish when he needs it. See, bread and fish are the good things. Remember what he said back in chapter 6, 
That God will give you the things that you need. See, your heavenly father, your earthly father does that too. He gives you good things. And in Matthew, it's good fruit, good words, good deeds, good meaning generosity, good and faithful servant. All throughout Matthew's gospel, good means inherently good, kind of like God is good, obviously not on that level. See, our dads, even though they're limited, they know how to give good things. I'm going to tell you some good things my dad gave me. And not because I want you as dads to emulate it, because I'll be honest, I'm not sure my dad should have given me all these things. But he was good. When I turned 16, my dad gave me a sports car, which I wrecked the first three months I had it. Which didn't stop him from buying me another sports car when I was 18. He bought me always the best sports gear and two of it. Um, I graduated college. He paid all my bill. And then gave me a Rolex watch, which you don't see me wearing because I don't. He uh, paid for my entire honeymoon because my dad was blessed by God with finances. And my dad, limited, sinful as he was, gave good gifts. But here, let me honor my dad in a peculiar way. My dad gave me good things, but he doesn't compare to my heavenly father. Not even close. And the text says this in verse 11. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts. And see, you could say, hey, you know why your kids get together on Father's Day today and they give you a card and a Father's Day gift? You know why? Because that little gift kind of summarizes their thoughts of you because you've been giving to them for so long. And you've impacted their lives, and so they give you a card, and maybe they give you a present, and you get together as your family, and you say happy Father's Day. And you know why? Because dads, even though we're limited and sinful, see, our children realize that you have given things, not just material things, but all kinds of things into their lives. But Jesus says, if that's what it is with evil fathers who aren't perfect and sinful, and I love the phrase, look at it, how much more? You see what he's doing? It's the argument from the lesser to the greater. Just like he did in chapter 6 and verse 30, where he said, how much more will your heavenly father clothe you? If he clothes lesser things, the flowers of the field, won't he clothe greater things you who are made in his image? And here's what God says, argument from the lesser to the greater. If you as a sinful dad, with your imperfections and limitations, if in your evilness you still give and do good things for your kids, how much more, he says, will your heavenly father do those things for you? See, if you had a bad dad, your heavenly father is infinitely better But listen to this. If you had a good dad, like I did, your heavenly father is infinitely better. Both are true. Can I tell you what that means? Listen to this. Why that is true? Don't turn there, just listen. The exact same verse as Matthew 7, 11 is repeated in a parallel passage in Luke 11, 13. It is identical except for one phrase. It says, if you then, who are evil, just like Matthew's version, know how to give good gifts to your children, same thing, how much more 
will your heavenly Father, and Matthew's version says, give good things. Luke's version says, how much more will your heavenly Father give you the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? See, he changes out good things like fish and bread and such to the Holy Spirit. Can I tell you, listen, listen, so that you can just tell God how great a father he is today on Father's Day and every day. You know what? The Heavenly Father is infinitely better. You know why? Because he not only gives you good things, he gives you God things. He does. See, your father may be present, but your Heavenly Father is omnipresent. See, he's always there for you. My dad was there for me. I could call him, talk to him. He would be there. He visited me. He came here. He allowed me. I could visit him all the time. Listen, but by the grace of God and by the plan of God, my dad is gone. And like many of yours, he's not here today on Father's Day. But that's never true of my heavenly father. He has not only given me good things, he has given me God things. He has given me the Holy Spirit, which allows me to be in his family. That's why my Heavenly Father is infinitely better. And I, I tell you that to say this, if you don't have a good earthly father, if you had a bad earthly father, that does not mean you have to be fatherless because if you know God through Jesus Christ, you can have an infinitely better relationship with a father who will always be there for you and always do what is best for you, not only physically, but spiritually. That's who God is. He ends with verse 12. And you almost want to think by reading verse 12, because in the original it's in the same paragraph, what in the world does this have to do with what he just said? So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Now this is called the golden rule. It's because there was an emperor who looked at these words of Jesus, and yes, they were important, but the reason it's called golden rule is because he had them etched into gold and hung it on his wall. It's the golden rule. He said it's the most precious thing. And here's what Jesus says. You're now, your responsibility, ready? Everyone who's here and God is your heavenly father, here's what makes me true of you. Jesus says, I want you to demonstrate that you are in my family. If you know my son Jesus and I am now your heavenly father, it's going to make a difference on how you live on earth. So show everybody, everybody what it means to be in my family. And you know how you do it? By loving others. Jesus said, this is really the entire message of the Bible. At the beginning of the Sermon on Mount, if you remember 517, Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the law and the prophets. Same little phrase. I came to fulfill them. Now at the end of this section, he says the same little phrase, law and prophets, again, because what he wants you to know is here's what summarizes the whole message of the Old Testament, which was their Bible. Here it is. Love God, love others. Jesus did not say this. God has been good to you as your heavenly father. Now you be good back to him. That's what we do on Father's Day. My kids said, Dad, you've been good to me. Now I want to be good to you. That's what we do. But here's what the, Jesus says. God, the Heavenly Father, has been good to you. Now you be good to others. See, then you'll show. 
you'll be able to demonstrate that you're really in my family. You treat other people like you yourself want to be treated. Listen to Jesus' words. Matthew 5, 43. You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Why would you treat others that way? Hear me. So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. Did you hear that? You do good for others, even your enemies, even people who mistreat you. You treat them like you would want to be treated. And then you'll prove, what? That you are sons of your Father in heaven. So Jesus says, here's how we celebrate on the highest level Father's Day. That we look to our Heavenly Father first. Not our earthly father. We don't get our cues about fatherhood from our earthly fathers so much as we do our heavenly father. Why? Because as good as our earthly fathers are, and we praise them today, don't we? And we honor them. They are, he is infinitely better. And so we want to give him the honor. And here's how we honor our heavenly father. Ready? We imitate him. We imitate him. Just like your dad wants to set an example for you and you want to follow in his steps. See, here's what God says. If you know me and you love me and I'm your father and you believe that I'll take care of your needs, here's how you can honor me. Be like me in how you love and treat others. And so Father's Day, today for you and I, if we know God, is not complete. It is not complete until you love someone else and do good for someone else the way that he has done for you. Oh, that God, not in gold, but in fleshly tablets of your heart, would write that golden rule into the lives of each and every one of us on Father's Day. Let's close in prayer. We're going to sing as our closing song today just a simple worship chorus. It's 191 in your hymn books at a moment if you need it. Father, I adore you. And, and I, I chose that song because I want you to leave here today and I want you looking at him, the Father in heaven, and telling him how much you love him and adore him. You may not be able to say those words very clearly to your earthly father. And if you do, that's wonderful. If you cannot, you have a heavenly father who is infinitely better, who cares about you and loves you and if you're not, he wants to adopt you into his family. Perhaps you're here this morning and you're not sure where you're going to spend eternity. Can I tell you, God's family encompasses heaven and earth and he would invite you today to surrender your life and he would love to remove you from Adam and the devil's family and into his and he could be your heavenly father. I'll be around after the service for a few moments. If you'd like to come forward and say, Pastor Walker, I'd love someone to take the Bible and show me how I could be in God's family by faith today. I'd love to take the opportunity to do that. But if you're here today, praise your father. Please spend time with him. Honor him. Despite all of our limitations, mine included, even our sin and imperfections. Honor them today because you don't really know how long you have to be with them on this earth. But in all of those things, look first to your heavenly Father because he is infinitely better. Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. 
your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive those who are indebted to us. And lead us not into the temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.